Welcome to Unbeatable Spirit, a safe place of thriving and healing for survivors of trauma and violence and their loved ones. I'm your host and fellow survivor, Jenny Bullington. Each week, we'll bring you stories from survivors and experts in the fields of healing and transformation as we accompany you on your healing journey. Please remember you can subscribe to this podcast, and if you'd be willing to share it or leave a review, we would love that. We want to reach as many people as we can and help everyone. You can also check out our website. It's at www.unbeatable-spirit.com. Let's get started, friends. Awesome. <laughs> well, this is Jenny Bullington, and welcome back to Unbeatable Spirit, a safe place of thriving and healing. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Laura. Hey. <laughs> she is such a sweetheart. We met in 2018 at a book signing in Brighton, England. And yeah, I know. It was so fun. Um, and we're going to be seeing each other again in 2022. I yeah. Think. Yep. Yeah. Crossed <laughs> about COVID stuff going on, but um, yeah. So it's it's been such a journey for her. Um, one thing that you know, survivors of trauma, um, sometimes the the people who have survived medical trauma, their voices sometimes get left out of the narrative. And Laura is a survivor, and I think that it's going to be really important that she shares her story, so that way anyone who has survived medical trauma can be inspired to continue forward with their healing journeys. Um, Laura, you had shared with me that you uh, are a survivor of sepsis. For the yeah. people, what is sepsis? Right, so basically, when it comes to sepsis, it starts off as an, a localized infection. So it can start off with a scratch. Um, or it can start off, for me, it was an abscess below my jaw. Mm -hmm. And so that infection then goes into the blood. And so a lot of people know about septicemia and blood poisoning. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the start of it. And mm -hmm. so what happens is you have a widespread, widespread inflammation. And that's because the blood gets really acidic. And when that happens, um, everything swells. So you then have reduced blood flow because your blood gets really sticky. Yeah. Um, it then causes tissue damage mm -hmm. and your blood pressure goes so low that it can mean that you, you get kidney failure and also then organ failure and death, basically. Wow. Um, and I sepsis fast right yeah 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 um sepsis affects 30 million people each year worldwide mm. um and of those 11 million people don't make it i was very nearly one of those 11 million wow um it's responsible for uh one in five deaths worldwide and that is more than cancer heart disease and diabetes no way. I mean, that's one thing that you never hear about. You always hear about the cancer, heart disease, diabetes, but you never hear about sepsis. No, you don't. Mm. But 
The Lancet in 2020 in January released 19.7% of all deaths are related to sepsis and that's worldwide. That's amazing. That's yeah, and I'm a podiatrist here in the UK, as you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. and I didn't recognize my end symptoms. You didn't. So that's no. got to be pretty traumatic too, because suddenly you're losing control of your body. You don't understand how you're feeling, and you don't know what's going on. That has yeah, very frightening. Yeah, it's basically because when you when you're not for me, it started off. Right. It's a four day thing for me. <laughs> um, on February the 3rd, uh, 2019, I was working. It was a Sunday. I don't usually work on a Sunday, so I was like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I was my usual self and I don't know if I don't know if I was like this when you first met me but I don't know did you hear me singing that first day <laughs> <laughs> we heard a lot from you that first day <laughs> I don't know how I didn't get dizzy that first day I was I, I was it. running around like getting like <laughs> signatures for for someone and yes yeah, so yeah. There was a moment, Jenny and Brendan were just absolutely <laughs> laughing at me the whole day. <laughs> you were a It's true. <laughs> it's true. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and I used to be a soprano. Um, I would constantly be singing for all my patients especially when it came to the dementia patients because it would help calm them down yeah exactly yeah yeah um and i would be like singing hymns like how great thou art and like amazing grace and all the really high pitch ones that most people can't reach yeah um hymns too that's that's amazing and knowing that you can use that so did anything affect your singing voice yeah I can't get that. I used to have this. I used to have people say how difficult Mariah Carey was. The Christmas songs. I had no trouble reaching that range before. Oh wow! Whoa! I can't reach it now. Is it due to the damage from where? Yeah. Because they had to put drains in my neck, but we'll get into that in a minute. Yes. Yeah. 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 But I was going down the corridor singing my heart out and one of my patients um she was like oh my goodness Laura it's so lovely to see you come in <laughs> and she was like can I have a hug it's awesome to see you and I was like of course like yeah. what kind of person would I be if I didn't hug her like right. you'd be some really horrible healthcare professional right <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine your bedside manner is amazing. So yeah, you're definitely a hugger. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so I gave her a hug and I thought nothing of it. I went back to work and all of this. Even I didn't need to do her feet, but she was like, oh, so nice to see you. And, right. And I didn't think anything of it until about seven o'clock that night. 
Okay. I was writing my notes and she was then being wheeled off in a stretcher and I was like, oh my God, what's happened? Is she okay? And they were like, uncontrollable sickness and diarrhea. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, so when I woke up two days later after the incubation period, yeah. with sickness and diarrhea and toothache in my right side, all I was thinking was, great, I've got toothache and I've caught the bug off my patient. Yeah. Which is what you would do. You would think one and one equals two, but it actually was um, 119. <laughs> well, when it comes to the, because I've got the, my clinical reasoning was sound, right. but it was the fact that I've got it really wrong because it was the first signs of sepsis. Oh man, so your patient must have had sepsis. Um, don't know. Oh, we don't, don't know. know. But this is the thing, you can't guess, you can't catch sepsis. So you oh, can only okay. catch a localized infection. It's yeah. only when the body goes into overdrive when trying to fight that infection mm -hmm. and goes into the blood mm. that there's a massive inflammatory response and then you're like, oh crap. <laughs> right. Um, so oh. for a day, in, like for the Tuesday and the Wednesday, I was in bed. I was like, oh, I feel gross. Um, um, I'm not going to, at the end of this, when this is not on, I'll tell you the analogy that I use for that. <laughs> it's what you call writers it's what it's what you call writers we can deal with that kind of stuff right right <laughs> oh man so your body is starting to show signs of yeah a serious infection but you're thinking uh, wherever you yeah from but me being a healthcare professional i'm like oh uh, because I had phoned the doctors the morning of not being unwell and saying, right, I've got sickness and diarrhea and I've got toothache, what do you recommend? Mm -hmm. And they were saying, right, because you're contagious, you can't come in for 48 hours, but keep hydrated, diorolite, all of these kind of things just to make sure that you're okay. And codeine for the toothache. Mm -hmm. um, and then ibuprofen to bring down the swelling. So I was doing that. And then the Thursday morning hit. I woke up at 6.30 with no neck. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my throat was out here. I was finding it really difficult to breathe. And it was like, okay. Right. And me being the typical healthcare professional said, I don't want to go to A&E because I don't want to put any extra pressure on A&E. So I'll go to, doc I'll phone the doctors at 8.30 when they open and I'll get an appointment. So A&E, is that, is that British? Accident for and emergency, which is your version of the ER. 
that's okay. That's all right. <laughs> um, and so I phoned the doctors at eight thirty. Hearing, we're very sorry, the doctors are shut today due to training. Oh no. My mum phoned 20 seconds later, I've got you an appointment in half an hour. I was hallucinating. You were, so your mum didn't actually call? Oh no, no, no. She called, but when I phoned the doctors, the doctors weren't shut. Oh no. I was hallucinating that the doctors were shut. So that whatever infection was in your blood was already reaching your brain by that point, I would assume. Yeah. Because um, when it comes to the body, all it wants to do is keep your brain, your heart, and your lungs. Everything mm -hmm. else is an afterthought. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, right, okay. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So I was shaking so much that it was looking like I was having a fit. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> with... Pardon? A seizure? Uh, yeah, it was looking like that because I was shaking that much, but I wasn't actually having a shit seizure. It was just because you have something called rigor, which is just absolute shaking. My temperature, this is the big thing. My temperature wasn't as bad as it could have been. Mm -hmm. But with sepsis, so many people think that a really high temperature is over 100, 174. No, 176, so 38.2 mm -hmm. is where it's like, oh, okay, no. But what the big, bleh, the difficulty with sepsis is it's either a low temperature or a high temperature. So this is why people can get, can mix it, uh, can be like, oh. So it's either below 96.8 or above 100. 76. Wow. Yeah. And so this is why a lot of people miss it. Sure. Um, that would make sense. Then your blood pressure crashes, mm -hmm. which then leads to organ failure. Um, extreme pain, a feeling of massive impending doom. Oh, I, wow. I remember, like, I don't know if I've ever told you, I had a twin brother who didn't make it when we were born. Hmm. And I remember thinking I'd be okay if I went now because I'd be with Nicholas. Oh, that is so to be in that mindset to go one day being healthy with your patients, being yourself to death's doorstep. That yeah. has got to have triggered yeah. so much trauma. Um, yeah, it was insane. But one of the big things, when I got to the doctors, my doctor was like, right, I'm not a mouth specialist. There's something wrong, but you need an emergency appointment with the dentist. So we got an emergency appointment with the dentist. Um, and literally within two minutes of being on her chair, she went, you need IV antibiotics right now. Wow. Wow. But I don't know if you, um, I don't know if you remember Brighton. We had like quite a big hospital there. 
Um, a little bit down, down, a little bit on the other side of, of Brighton where the Hilton was. Oh, but, okay. Gotcha. I remember the train station. So if you tell me where it is from the train uh, station. It's um, <laughs> a bit further towards the marina. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. A huge building. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but one of the big things that's happening at the moment and has been happening for about two years right. is they're doing a whole load of building there. Mm. So it meant that there's no parking. Oh, no. Yeah. So this is where the story gets interesting. So oh, we got out of the dentist. My mum then phones my dad while in the car o over Bluetooth, being completely safe. Uh, <laughs> and was like, Errol, you need to get pajamas, phone charger, and underwear for Laura. <laughs> because she's going into A&E right now. But oh, wow. you need to take us. Yeah. Oh, he had to take you? Because yeah, because, because there was nowhere to park otherwise. Oh, man. So we came back from the dentist, which is about 10 minutes away. And then my dad just literally went zoom. I think, I don't think I've ever had my dad's speed. I think he, yeah. he did just a little that day. <laughs> I would imagine the baby girl was not doing well. <laughs> I keep thinking, you know, hearing you say this and being, you know, going from doctor to doctor, how much time could have been, yeah. spent, you know, and, getting right to root. Yeah. And this is where the next bit you can really see how, sorry for the language here, the shit hits the fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's basically because we get to A&E. Yeah. or the ER and there's 44 people in the waiting room oh my we're seen within two minutes oh wow you went ahead of everybody so that means that they knew they're this is something really bad yeah within one more minute of being with triage i was in with triage within and within two minutes i had the um senior on call doctor for the MaxFax team, which is the maxillofacial unit, which are the people who are in charge of this, in with triage. Wow. I was already nil by mouth. <laughs> wow. um, I then went down for an x-ray. This is all, um, uh, five minutes later I'd had an x-ray, uh, was back in A&E, had a cannula in my arm, Okay. So they were taking bloods, and then five minutes later, I was on a bed attached to, to IV antibiotics, IV fluids, IV steroids wow. to bring my temperature down. It's basically because one of the big things that was happening is my... Uh, what, what happens when you have the acidity in the blood is you have something called anaerobic respiration. So usually what happens is uh, you're taking in oxygen and you're bringing out carbon dioxide right but you're okay. not getting in enough oxygen so you're bringing it so it's you're getting more and more carbon dioxide in the system so you're and so that's so you're trying to take in as much oxygen as you poss possibly can because you're just trying to get everything right. going 
but because all of that your heart's having to work that much faster right and then i'm sure the feelings of panic because yeah it's very much like that but also you have oxygen you're on 100 percent oxygen wow um but your pulse rate gets so so fast i remember um it was an, a few months after that i actually had the courage to look up how fast my heart rate was how fast was it um bearing in mind this is after six and a half hours of being on iv antibiotics this is how long they had to actually to to take my temperature down and to actually have me on oxygen mm. 169 at rest oh whoa that's, yeah. that's like cardio zone if you're working out so at rest 169 yeah i'm just shocked that your heart didn't you know i would imagine it very nearly did i think yeah um but the one thing when it comes to the particular type that i had um which is ludwig's angina around your throat swells so when it comes to the intubation usually it goes down your throat however has to go down your nose while still awake Ooh. Whilst yeah awake. so i had a local anesthetic at my right nostril it took 20 minutes for them to do this because they had to have two anaesthetists, not just one. Because if that hadn't worked, they'd have had to do a tracheotomy. Oh, and you're so you're cognizant at this point of everything. That's um, I was out of it, but I knew, I knew what they were doing. Yeah, especially as um, a professional. I was a bit dopey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it was like a little bit here, a little bit in the arm, a little bit in the nose, a little bit in the arm, a little bit in the nose, a little bit in the arm. And it was so... Yeah. Um, so it was like I was drunk. But I was so out of it anyway. Yeah. Um, and then the next thing I knew, I was waking up. They, to get down to the infection, they had to take three teeth out from the bottom. So oh learning... My. So learning to eat again was fun. Oh, oh man. So, and then at this point, are you still on day three? No, no, no uh, yeah. So this is, this is the, the, fir the day where I woke up with no neck. Right, right. So this is all, this is all in one day. This is actually, I think, one of the busiest days ever. Yeah, no kidding. Um, <laughs> So oh, I woke yeah. up. Yeah, I woke up. My mouth was bleeding because they they'd taken the three teeth out from there. They'd had drains in my neck. Um, I'm just showing them to Jenny. Yeah. Um, tiny scars now, but uh, that's to do with the light anyway. Sure. Um, so because I was so swollen at that point. I was um, saying that I looked like a mixture between Frankenstein's monster and a hamster. <laughs> oh, 
good a good look, okay? Um, <laughs> but um, when I was slightly kind of a little bit more copus mentis, even though I was still highly doped up on morphine, they did say, okay, this is your phone number, isn't it? And I went, nope. <laughs> oh, no. And they oh, were like, do you know what it is? No. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Google it. And they I love found it. it. They found my home phone number. They did. They found yeah. it. Yeah. So is that how insane is that that I was actually that aware that I said, Google it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gosh, the brain is mysterious. And sometimes, you know, when there's all this medical stuff going on, but you still knew that that wasn't your number. So that, yeah. that should give them hope. I would imagine that it, the infection didn't destroy that memory part of your brain, the hippocampus. Um, I would, I would sometimes that can happen later on. Oh, with gotcha. the memory stuff, mm -hmm. um, which it did, um, but oh. it was just certain words are like, mm, even now, really? um, yeah, um, but it was really funny, um, because, um, I, there's this one thing that I don't know if it was, real or if I was hallucinating because my temperature was still that high oh yeah and also I forgot to say before my O2 sats which is my blood oxygen level mm -hmm. instead of it being 100 or 99 was down to 89 oh so, that's, that's like bad isn't it what what are you yeah. supposed to have you're supposed uh, to have it in eight, nine, 99 to 100 and it was 89 yeah yeah sorry i forgot to say that bit so then um hmm. what i'll do is i'll send you a link to have the symptoms signs and symptoms of sepsis and then actually post sepsis syndrome as well uh, to go in the show notes if you would like yeah um absolutely. and um so i was like right okay after about seven or eight hours i was then moved on to the ward it was definitely musical beds because they needed to ensure that I was right by the doctors just in case anything happened. So the, my bed was right at the first one. The doctor's office was literally about two metres away and the nurse's station was about three metres away. So if I crashed, they'd yeah. have been there. Yeah. Because I was still in a danger zone. I was still on IV and all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yes, yeah, so the next morning, because every time I've tried to swallow, like have a drink, because my mouth was so dry, I was mm -hmm. choking. So they had to have the speech and language therapy in as well. Um, and because I'm celiac, um, she was like, okay, we need to get you a biscuit. And I was like, I'm celiac. Oh. And um, she was like, okay, I'll see if I can get you a gluten-free biscuit. <laughs> I don't know. So I ended up having to have half an apple when I could hardly open my mouth. Oh, no. So it was in tiny, tiny little... 
uh, I felt like a baby again. Yeah. Um, but it actually made me understood and understand the weaning process when it comes to kids. Mm -hmm. Because did you know that there was there's a hard swallow and a soft swallow? Um, I think I've heard of that. I, we have a son that has some speech um, delays, and so I, I think it's all about tongue positioning, isn't it? Yeah, and because I was like, "Can I get a straw?" and they went, "Nope, you need to hard swallow, not soft swallow." Okay. So I wasn't allowed a straw, even though it was the one thing I really wanted. Right. Wow. Um, and were you in a lot of pain at this point in the neck? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, they also had to ensure that I was on heparin. So they were injecting me with heparin four times a day because one of the risks, one of the complications is deep vein thrombosis. Yeah. Yeah, blood clots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because I don't know if you've seen a whole load of different things where you have people who've had hands feet amputated because of sepsis mm -mm, and it's uh, what well, is because the nerve uh, because there isn't enough oxygen that's gone to those particular points and those areas have gone gang gangrene and oh. they've had to amputate them so i was really lucky the fact that i just had my voice and teeth yeah. i was really lucky um did anything but, happen with the bone in your jaw um i don't think so however for about three months i was getting ulcers in my mouth because things weren't healing oh. um but um so after they took out, out the dressing and then after they took out the drains um and they sent me home and they were like, okay, we'll see about getting the nurse to readdress them. And I was like, do you know what? I've got all of that stuff at home. I'll do it myself. I really shouldn't have. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was like, I can do this. I don't want to put any stress on the National Health Service. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. The things that go through your brain, I swear. Right. Um, but I was having to change my dressing every three hours because it was just weeping so much mm. I had to have um the, an inco sheet on my pillow to ensure that it kind of got everything on my pillow and all of this yeah. um okay. so and by this point you're at day what uh, um I went home after four days okay so um I was doing my own dressings pardon well I was just gonna say we're talking you know this is four days, four days, and you went from healthy, happy, singing Laura to changing your own dressings every three hours home. Oh, no. When I was in hospital, the doctors and, and nurses were doing that. Right. So four, um, four days after the whole surgery, I went home. Right. So after right. taking the drain, after they took the drains out. However, the annoying thing is with me, I'm asymptomatic. So I was still having infection. So I oh, still no. had the infection for about three months. Oh. But because it didn't show up in my bloods that I had infection, they went, okay, bye. Oh, no. Yeah. So this is why it was a recurring infection. Um, 
And I actually thought that as soon as I got out of the hospital, that would be it. I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine again now. Mm -hmm. um, for the first, I would say about month, other than the fact that um, I had extreme edema, so swelling, mm -hmm. um, after, about two, after about two weeks of being home, I went to the, see the nurse to be like, okay, can I, when can I stop putting these on? And she told me off for not going to see the nurse. And I went, I have all of this stuff at home. Yeah. Literally, I have all of this stuff at home. And she was like, it was done very well, but you should have really come to see us. Like, oh my. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, you don't need to put any more dressings on. And it felt really weird not having a dressing on my chin afterwards. It was really weird. And I remember yawning. I, remember I, um, I still had to have the Inco sheet on at night because otherwise, mm -hmm. yeah because it was still kind of, I felt like I had Niagara Falls coming out of my chin. Oh man. Oh, but yeah. I, I yawned this one time and I had to actually change my entire outfit. Oh no. <laughs> and so I said this to one of my friends, Dave, who's also a podiatrist and as a healthcare professional, you tend to have a bit of a weird, dark sense of humor. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we kind of named it Chin Continents. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I mean, that kind of almost gallows humor, it's, it's, it, it's got to be what got you through. Because oh, yeah. your life just turned upside down. And I think that other survivors of medical trauma, um, you know, having experienced just a really life-changing event I mean there's you know the physical recovery but there's also the mental spiritually emotional yeah. recovery and so how are you doing with all of that physically um, but mentally spiritually emotionally at that point yeah so for the first I would say month I was on a high mm -hmm. um I was like oh my god I made it I'm, oh what an amazing yeah and then I started get, getting flashbacks. Um, I was already excessively tired anyway. Mm -hmm. But with the flashbacks, I was also having nightmares. Mm. So it was making me really not want to go to sleep. Right. And so I was having massive insomnia, which mm. was then actually having a fallout into work because um i was so exhausted but i'd be getting brain fog and when you're a podiatrist you kind of need to write your notes right <laughs> is that a struggle with with that process of being able to um i don't think i've ever struggled so much in my entire life mm. Mm. um do you think that that was some of the beginning of the early signs of PTSD for you? Massively so, massively so. And it wasn't until about three months in when I started to have the nightmares mm -hmm. about hearing, it was hearing the anaesthetist after I woke up say, it's a good job her mum and dad brought her in because if she'd waited for the ambulance, she wouldn't be here. 
And to have that replay in your mind, and then you're already not sleeping, and you're struggling with fatigue, and brain fog, and then knowing that you were on death's doorstep. Yeah. But of course, if, if you also think how, in fact, I didn't want to go to sleep, but I was exhausted. One of the things that can also happen when it comes to post-sepsis is a whole lot, because there's a lot of the psychological stuff, a lot of physical stuff as well. Mm-hmm. And that affects 7.6 million people each year. Mm. Um, and nobody talks about it. Right. Yeah. And so it's excessive tiredness, like to the point where I remember I drove home from work. I had enough energy to move my ped- the pedals mm-hmm. and kind of hold on for dear life. Yeah. But I could not get out the car because my body felt like it was made of lead. Mm. So it was extreme fatigue. Yeah. And and then that then means that you also have muscle weakness as well, which then brings on muscle jointness, muscle and joint pain. Um, the swelling. Mm-hmm. For some people it can actually, luckily for me it didn't, but for some people it can cause kidney, kidney damage. Um, I'm really lucky about that, but I was having hair falling out. Dry and, dry and flaky skin and nails um, and really weird temperature control and it was the fact that I had no control over my body that was the hardest thing okay I can't hear you mm-hmm. yeah yeah you know, it's, it's, well, I was just saying, you know, where, where do you go from there when you've gone through this and then your body is not doing what you're used to it doing, you know, that, that's got to be very discouraging at times. Yeah. And one of the big things for me was the fact that I thought I was going mad. Mm. I thought I was going insane. Um, I was like, what's going on? Why on earth are there all these things? And it wasn't until about five months later when I actually put all of these symptoms in at, into the internet, good old Dr. Google. Uh, <laughs> and sepsis. And I found post-sepsis syndrome. And I was like, that makes sense. Um, when you found that, was that kind of liberating in a way because now you've found out what was going through the body? Yeah, I was like, okay, I know that that's actually something that's happened. This is awesome. At least I know what's going on and I can actually have an answer. So I then was like, I need to make an appointment. Sorry. <laughs>
that has been yeah. very helpful. It was. However, the doctor that I went to see wasn't helpful at all. Because oh, I, no. yeah, so I went to the doctor um, and was like, right, I've got all but three symptoms of post-sepsis syndrome. And his response wasn't, um, okay, so what symptoms have you got? His, symptom, his response was, who told you you had sepsis? Oh. Um, yeah. Um, um, <laughs> yeah, so I came back to him with the biggest sarky medical answer you've ever heard, where it was saying, okay, the fact that I had a, head, a temperature of uh, 98, um, no, of 38.2, the fact I had um, my pulse was 169 at rest my o2 sats were 89 um i had riga um all of this so i was literally just reeling everything off um and and then i said in fact i had yeah. to have life-saving surgery i don't think that's ascending cellulitis i think that's sepsis don't you yeah. and <laughs> The fact that I had to use that particular language. Right. And he went, okay, we need a full blood work. medical jargon, but for someone who wasn't in that field, you know, and exactly. Yeah. And, but it made me go out to the doctors actually thinking, did I have sepsis? Hmm. What does it doesn't help with the, the feeling of am I mad? You know, all the everything that's the emotional and the mental that's part of the recovery process to have a doctor doubt you or make you question yourself. That's got to be just so frustrating. And then talk about causing some dissonance inside. Yeah. So for me, I spoke to a friend um, and I was like right my doctor doesn't believe me what do I do and she was saying did you know that you can self-refer because um, I hadn't <laughs> uh, which uh, and so I actually then went online and I self-referred for something called CBT which is cognitive behavioral therapy um, and it really helped. It actually brought me onto the journey that I have now. Um, although sure. my mental health still isn't wonderful. Pardon? Sure. Yeah. Sorry, I think I'm being a little bit choppy or not. But um, for those who aren't sure what CBT is, can you explain that just a little bit? Um, basically it's, um, a minute, I will read the, um, thing right here to actually what, what the definition is. Um, uh, and so it's, there, you know, you're just thinking, I can't remember all of this. These, these are things that can kind of go out the brain. So it's short-term goal-orientated psychotherapy. 
hands-on practical approach to help solving problems to actually help change your patterns of thinking and uh, it really helped um, but I think lockdown has made me very anxious as, oh, as it, I'm sure it's made everybody anxious yeah, um, I would say the survivors of trauma having to be on lockdown and, and quarantine that's definitely a retriggering event for whatever type of trauma you've survived. It's, it's been a trigger for so many people. Yeah. And when, um, however, I'm actually using it as a real positive. I'm making sure that I have gratitude every day. That's a really big thing. But if you saw my walls, um, Ryan, almost kills me because I have like magic whiteboards everywhere. Oh really? Um and um uh it means that we can take them down for when we have people come over but we don't have people coming over so they don't come down at the moment. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I think I've taken over his flat. <laughs> Any good woman should. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said before I moved in that it was just a place that he would go. Now it's a home because it's got so Aww. much stuff. <laughs> yeah. <Aww. laughs> um. <laughs> so on these whiteboards, you have. Pardon? I'm guessing on these whiteboards, you yeah. have what? So I have things that are. Um talking about different parts of sepsis so i'm talking about what is sepsis what is post sepsis syndrome and it's basically because since lockdown i've actually taken my mess as in not almost dying to turning it into a message and so i've started an online course oh i love it i've started a youtube channel and I've started a podcast. Um, like yesterday, I had six, six survivors approach me via Facebook to actually say how much that the videos that I've been doing have helped them get through because they thought that they were on their own. And yeah it's the fact that although we've got things like the sepsis alliance sepsis trust feet all of these different other charities like the sepsis um sepsis survivor society often people feel very isolated and on their own mm -hmm. and the podcast and the youtube channel are there for a sense of community but with <laughs> the funny thing was the pod the youtube channel was originally there to um teach healthcare professionals but it's actually reached more survivors than healthcare professionals and it is 
definitely the reason why I survived. I know that I survived for a reason, and it was to, and it is to help others save lives. Absolutely. I mean, it's you have such a platform, and to have so many survivors coming to you, it is so freeing for the survivor in their healing journey to know that they're not alone. And to have that sense of community and support system, that is key to being able to move forward. Yeah, and I think that is one of the reasons why I'm not spiraling out of control right now. Um, mm -hmm. Although I've actually, I did actually go back on, I did actually go on to antidepressants because I've had like anxiety is causing vertigo because I get migraines and migraines mm -hmm. and vertigo are on the same scale. And so my, my migraines aren't usual migraines, they are vertigo. So I fall over all the time, which is very unusual and quite amusing. <laughs> what can you do? Yeah. Exactly. I like how you spin <laughs> these things into something positive. Like you, you have such a very bright, positive mindset about that. But even, you know, vertigo <laughs> is amusing. <laughs> no, but I've, I've had vertigo for years. Um, when I was younger, I, I think I was 18 at the time. And I had a woman uh, come up to me at like, um, it was nine o'clock in the morning and I'd fallen over twice within a space of about 20 meters. Oh, Literally, no. like I'm not worthy position on the floor. That's oh, how much no. I fell over. And oh, no. it was, it was quite amusing, but I was, I was laughing because I just found it hilarious. But this woman came up to me and said, it's nine o'clock in the morning and you're drunk. It's despicable. <laughs> Anyway, actually, no, I'm not. I've got an ear infection. Thank you. Please apologise. And she walked off. <laughs> so oh, I think... It's said to see the look on her face when you said that. <laughs> yeah. But I asked for an apology and she just went... Oh, and walked off. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it makes me so incredibly blessed that I can find the humour behind it. And I think, I think often when it comes to trauma, humour is something that needs to be there. Mm -hmm. um, I like that. Yeah. And, um, like, I, I'll always remember New Year with you <laughs> yeah <laughs> um personal joke guys <laughs> and um <laughs> and it was the fact that knowing that i've got friends and family that will support me in whatever i do yeah. means that it is something really important like um and my, I have a 10 year plan. 
-hmm. and it is about making a community for sepsis survivors and amazing i love it i even have somebody um kind of in mind for a northern office as well (laughs) (laughs) that is wow i mean listen to you so you you live this horrendous event and now you've turned it into something that you're going to be doing for the next decade at least i could totally see this being your platform for a very long time you're very passionate about it and you're so well informed and we need people like you and also um because of my medical background as well i actually went on one of the forums today and I have actually said, if anybody else is a healthcare professional, please get in contact because I'm looking at doing some research into post-sepsis syndrome. And I've already had about 20 people say, yeah, I'll be involved. Wonderful, wonderful. So you, you are starting, this is a really exciting place for you because you're starting this and I have a feeling this could create a lot of really positive change. I'm starting a movement. Yes, yes you are, I love it. So what I'm hearing you say, as far as recovering from a medical trauma goes, um, being your own advocate uh, with your medical providers, um, educating yourself, finding a support system, finding ways to have positivity and gratitude each day um, and then getting involved in advocacy, really. Yeah, like, and humor. Like, I, and humor. humor, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have so to laugh that, every day. Yeah. Oh, I love that because then, you know, you're, you're releasing all those feel-good hormones in your brain and, and that will really help de-stress you and and help bring down those negative, you know, like hormones like cortisol that's on yeah. our system or triggered, uh, or PTSD is really into overdrive. When you have humor every day, you know, then you've got all those feel-good hormones in your brain, and I really think that helps with the recovery process. Yeah, it really does, and I think having having gratitude and having like the whole looking to the future, I think is really important. Oh, can you not? Oh, I can hear you now. Yes, <laughs> I can hear you now. Sorry, my froze. I don't know if, if my internet's been choppy, I apologize. I, um, you froze for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think, the whole um having a goal and having a vision is really important and it's made me say every month that i need to actually reevaluate that goal and push it further because um i know it was I don't know who said it, but you underestimate what you can do in a year 
but um, you know, you you overestimate what you can do in a year, but you can underestimate what you can do in ten years. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Absolutely. That's I think really... it was Dean Graciosi who said it, and it is on point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I'm in a group of people that's a whole load of healthcare professionals, like, um, and literally they've just said over the past three months, so this quarter, I they've just seen such a turn from podiatry over to sepsis education. And they've just said that I've just flown. Yeah. And yeah. it's because I've got the passion behind it. Yes. Yeah. And um, although I love podiatry, the passion's not there anymore. Whereas it used to be. Right. Yeah. But now it's not. Yeah. I, I think that it's, you know, in my own personal journey, uh, I was, teaching uh, early childhood education, and I was an instructor to college, but living what I've lived uh, in my own survivor journey, I, my passion is now in helping others know that they can move forward. You can move forward to a life thriving and happiness and peace and, you know, just amazingness. Um, and so I think it's because these lived experiences really do create such a drastic change in us and if we can overcome then we know others can overcome as well and i think that's the magic in it completely it's amazing and do you know what it's it one is this has been amazing actually chatting to you and seeing you face to face i know i know uh, it's been so long <laughs> um and thank you for letting me tell my story and help hopefully helping others and um if anyone needs any advice just give me an email i'm i'm always i'm always there i check my emails once a day um where can people find you online yeah so i'm on facebook uh i've got a um a Facebook group called Sepsis Education, and that's for healthcare professionals. Um, however, however, I have had a few survivors join that one because they're wanting to kind of help me with the education for that, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Then I am on Instagram. I'm always on there. I'm such an Instagram fiend, and it's... Um, <laughs> laurawilliams.sepsiseducator and then if you're wanting to watch the YouTube channel um, I release a new video every Sunday uh, and that's Laura Williams Sepsis Education Worthing Sussex <laughs> Worthing Sussex got it that's how they can find you online and then um, is there anything else like any Sorry, you. I can't hear you now. I think your internet's. Oh, no. Jen? I think your internet's gone a bit funny. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Sorry. You froze on me again. <laughs> so, what were you saying? 
Um, I was saying, uh, is there any, like, one last piece of advice or one last inspirational uh, golden nugget you want to share with people? Okay, so if at any point you are worried about a family member when it comes to their health, so if they're actually, if they're showing any of the signs of sepsis, like a really high temperature, like really fast breathing, like uh, shaking, all of that, don't wait to call an ambulance. Make sure that you go to the ER um, because when it comes to sepsis, time is key. They actually say the first hour in the ER is the key to actually saving your life. It's something called the sepsis six. And I'm very lucky that they did that yeah. because I wouldn't be here otherwise. Wow. Well, I am really glad that you are here. <laughs> you are such an inspiration and it's just, I love talking to you. Every time we talk, we, you know, we just laugh and we giggle and you just are such a bright light and I'm really glad that the world still has you. Yay. And, and you are exactly the same for me. And, um, <laughs> and Ryan, even though he's never met you, he can't wait to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'll be fun. I can't wait for a reunion in 2022. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, I'm definitely going to be making that gluten-free cake that I was telling you about. Ah, uh, don't worry. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I will see you soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Laura. Ah, cool. Right. Love you, darling. Mwah. Bye. 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 Hi, friends. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. It's so important to hear from survivors of medical traumas and the ways that they've had to get back to healing and recovery. I love how Laura shared her story of sepsis, and it's so fascinating how it impacts more people than we realize. I want to apologize for the audio. Laura was coming over video chat from the United Kingdom, and I am from the United States, but we did the best we could, and if you have any further questions, you can email Laura at laura.sepsiseducator at gmail.com or myself at jenny.unbeatablespirit at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, friends, and we'll catch you again soon.